The scripture reading today is from Mark chapter 1, and I'm going to read verses 16 through 20. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets, and they followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Jebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but not the word of God. It lasts forever. You may be seated. So we're in a verse-by-verse series in the Gospel of Mark uh, that we've been calling The Lion Roars. And, uh, you know, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are uh, the Gospels that were written mid-first century. And the reason why they were written is because the eyewitnesses and the apostles started dying off. And so uh, it was very important that a written record of Jesus' life and teaching and his ministry, uh, his death and resurrection would be preserved over time. And so what you have in the Gospels Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are really just access to who Jesus is and what he came to do. It's a a life-changing access. And so uh, in the passage that we're going to look at today, obviously we see uh, Jesus calling his first disciples. And so Mark tells us that Jesus was walking along the Sea of Galilee and uh, he, he sees Simon and Andrew and he calls to them and he says, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And then a little bit later on, he sees James and John and uh, they're in the boat and they're fishing and he calls to them and immediately they leave their father, they leave their nets behind and <clears throat> they follow Jesus. Now this really doesn't seem like that big of a deal when you, you kind of read through this. If you're familiar with the gospels, if you've been in church a while, you're, we kind of just zoom right through that, but this is really a big deal. And the reason why this is a big deal is because in Judaism, rabbis did not choose their students. In Judaism, rabbis didn't, didn't recruit their pupils. It was always the pupils choosing their rabbis. And here you have is a picture of Jesus choosing and recruiting and calling uh, his disciples to himself. There's not a single incidence in in, uh, Jewish tradition where we have a rabbi that makes the choice of who's going to be um, his disciples. And I think what Jesus is showing us, what Mark is showing us is that Um, you don't enter into a relationship with Jesus unless Jesus calls you. That's what we see right here. That it's God that always takes the initiative in salvation. And so we move into a relationship with God only because God has moved first. That's the only reason why. And it's interesting to note here that Jesus is searching for them. He's pursuing them. They're not pursuing him. And he finds them right where they are, right in the middle of their busy day. They're fishing. They're focused on just trying to earn a living. And so Jesus calls them right where they are, right in the middle of their ordinary life. Just a kind of a fascinating observation there. Now, uh, they do what, what you would expect them to do in response to the call. They, they follow it. They, they, uh, they leave behind their nets and, and they follow him. And I think it's in Jesus' call Uh, that we really begin to see the essence of what Christianity is. Christianity is not church attendance. Church attendance is important, but that's not Christianity. It's that's the sum of Christianity. Christianity is not belief in certain doctrines, although 
Doctrines are very important. Christianity is not activism. Christianity is not, you know, just caring for the poor, working, you know, working for biblical justice. I think what we see here is that the essence of Christianity is really discipleship. It's discipleship. Now, some people might say, well, you know, I'm a Christian and, you know, but I I really don't want to be a disciple. And what they do is they create this kind of artificial distinction between, you know, the, the term Christian and then the term, you know, disciple. And so there's really no artificial distinction there. They're really, they're really the same thing. And so some people will say, well, you know, I believe in Jesus and I prayed the prayer, you know, and I'm a good person. And, you know, I go to church, you know, Christmas and Easter. And, you know, I, I try to be a really good person, um, but I'm just, I wouldn't classify myself as a disciple. I'm not one of those elite guys, you know what I mean? And, and I think what that does is it reveals kind of how we view the Christian faith. We kind of view it on a spectrum. And on one side of the spectrum, we've got, you know, people that we would say are hypocrites. And uh, these people that are people that kind of profess to live it, but they really don't. And it's like they don't have enough faith to really live out their faith. That's one side. And then on the other side, on the far right, you've got these fanatics. And it's like they've got too much faith. You know what I mean? Like they're overbearing. Uh, They're just obnoxious. Uh, They're kind of self-righteous. And so so for a lot of us, I think, man, we we don't want to be a hypocrite, but we certainly don't want to be a fanatic. We would love to find a comfortable middle ground in our Christian faith. We just love to be spiritually moderate, if you will. If we could just find that that middle area, that respectable middle, if you will. And I think if you kind of peeled that layer back, what what you would find behind that is this idea that, you know, I would really like to do just enough to get into heaven when I die but I, I don't want to do too much where it might cost me something. And so for a lot of people who profess Christ, who don't ever attend church, and then for a lot of people who do attend church, that's kind of where they are, this spiritually moderate middle of the road position. And so let me just kind of respond to that uh, in a couple of ways. I think, I think first and foremost, Jesus never calls us to be obnoxious. Okay, I I don't know, that that should be obvious, but um, let me just say it. Uh, He never calls us to be obnoxious or overbearing or just self-righteous. There's no place uh, in following Jesus for that. That's first and foremost. Then secondly, there's really not a place in scripture um, for a middle of the road Christian. I mean, that place just doesn't exist. It's just not in the Bible. It's just not in there. And, uh, and so we, we really strive for this moderational Christianity thing, but the Bible doesn't know what that is. The Bible doesn't recognize that as a real thing. And I think when we begin to read the life of Jesus and you, you begin to understand his teaching, you, you, you really see that he calls us to be radical followers of him. I mean, absolutely radical in our devotion and in our commitment to him you see this everywhere in the gospels in everything that he says there's nothing moderate about him let me me, I, I could give you a number of examples of this but let me just show one of them to you from Luke chapter 14 uh, Jesus says this if anyone comes to me and he doesn't hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters yes even his own life he cannot be my disciple whoever doesn't 
bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now, how moderate is that? <laughs> he's talking about, he's, what he's saying is you can't be my disciple unless you, you hate the most important relationships in your life. Now, what, what is he really saying here? I, I, I think the thing that he's not saying is, you know, he's not saying, okay, to the crowd, I, I really will let a lot of you be moderate in your faith, but I need a few of you to be like Marines. I need a few good men and a few good women who will go all the way with me so you can kind of pick and choose. He's not saying that. Notice, notice what he says. He says, if anyone comes to me, you see that? If anyone comes to me, he must hate his own father, mother, wife, and children, even, him, even himself. What is he doing? He's giving us absolute clarity, isn't it? He's just, he's just giving us absolute clarity. He simply calls us to follow him with all that we have. Now, you might say, well, I thought we were supposed to love everybody. I mean, we're supposed to love our enemies. What is he, why is he talking about, you know, hating our father and mother? Well, I, I, I heard one pastor say it like this, and it's really, I think, a good way of just explaining what he's, what he's saying there. Jesus is not calling us to hate actively. He's calling us to hate comparatively. That we are so devoted to Jesus, that we're so committed to him that every other relationship that we have in our life, that seems like hate compared to our relationship with God. I think that's what he's talking about. And so you just see the radical nature of what it means to be a Christian, to what it means to be a follower, what it means to, to really be a disciple. See, Christianity is discipleship. Discipleship is Christianity. And uh, that's what we see from, from this call of discipleship. So what I wanna do this morning is I, I just wanna take a few moments right from this passage and just share with you three fundamentals of discipleship, just three basics of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. So, so let me just kind of share the first one with you. Um, and that is this, that discipleship is really following Jesus. That's what discipleship is. First and foremost, it is, it is following Jesus. A disciple is just simply a follower of, of Jesus Christ. And so discipleship is the act of following Jesus. Now, let me show you, let me show you what I mean by this. Look at, look at verse 17. Jesus said, and Jesus said to them, he says, follow me. Just very simply, follow me. Now, all the commentators that at least I read agreed that Jesus had a prior relationship with these guys. So it's not like Jesus walked up to these guys just stone cold, you know, they'd never met before and he, you know, performs a Jedi mind trick on them and then you guys look good, come follow me. And then they just leave everything and follow him. That's not really realistic. So, so really the commentators say he, he had to have had a prior relationship with them. And, and so they knew a little bit about what they were, they were doing and, and who, they, who they were following. But notice who the object of the call is. Jesus says, follow me, follow me. See, Jesus is the subject of the call. He is, he is calling them to himself. And this is already, already is radically different from the rabbis and the scribes of Judaism because rabbis and scribes did not call and recruit their own disciples. You know, the pupils and the students picked the rabbi, but Jesus is doing it here. 
And so he's already different than, than the rabbis and the scribes. But there's something else really different about what he's doing here. He is, he's calling them to himself. And what he's doing is he's, an, he's assuming an authority that was very unusual in Judaism. Because he just calls them and expects them to follow and they do. And underneath that is this authority that really comes through in the call itself. Now, now why is this really unusual? Why is it so different than what, you know, what people would experience in Judaism? The answer to that is the chief allegiance for rabbinical students was not with the rabbi. It was with the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. That's where the allegiance was. That's where the authority was. So, so for a rabbinical student to attach themselves to, you know, to a Pharisee, to a, to a scribe, to learn from them, their ultimate authority was the Torah. What Jesus is saying here is, follow me. I'm your authority. And that is really really significant let me take it a step further you know the term following God is nowhere found in the Old Testament nowhere you don't hear Moses saying follow God you don't hear David calling people to follow God you don't hear the prophets telling the people to follow God uh, you certainly don't hear it from the kings to follow God and the judges to follow God uh, and even the men of God in the Old Testament, they their message is never follow God. Their message is walk with God, walk in his ways, walk in his commandments. And so, and so Jesus comes along and he's changing that and he says to them, follow me. And this is where we really begin to see the lion roaring here because he is roaring with his word, with his call. His call, his word to them is ultimate authority. It is sovereign power. That's what it is. And they are responding to it uh, completely. There, he is, Jesus in his call is not appealing to the Torah. He's not, he's not appealing to signs and miracles to get their attention, to show them that he really is the son of God. He's not appealing to that. He's not arguing with them theologically. He's not presenting a moral argument why they need to be following. He just says, follow me. And you see the power of God's word just uttered in, in that, uh, just in that phrase. You see the authority that just comes from the son of God, just, just through the power of his word. In fact, what we see from scripture is that, that God speaks and it happens. His word is his deed. He speaks and it just changes lives. You know, unlike the rabbinical students too, um, you know, rabbinical students had to have some prerequisites before they could follow a rabbi. They had to have a baseline education. Uh, they had to have a baseline devotion in Judaism. And so they had to prove this. They had to demonstrate this. So there's some prerequisites, a ladder that you kind of have to climb. But it's, but it's fascinating to me that the only requirement that Jesus has for these four guys is faith. Like the key to being a disciple is just faith, that you're willing to step out in faith, that discipleship ultimately is walking in faith and following Jesus in faith. And uh, that's the only prerequisite that is, that's required here. Now, so, so really what Jesus is saying is follow me. I want you 
I want you to attach yourself to me and I want you to follow me. Now, what are the implications of this? I, I, think, I think they're huge. Let me share just a couple of them with you. I, I think when you think about the implications that, that discipleship is ultimately about following Jesus, the first implication would be this, that Jesus, that Jesus is really not a means to an end. He's the end itself. We don't use Jesus, we don't follow Jesus to get something from him. We follow Jesus to get Jesus. Jesus doesn't say, follow me, you know, and your life's going to be peaceful and easy. He never says that. Jesus doesn't say, follow me and you're going to be healthy and wealthy and prosperous. He never says that. Follow me and I'll help you accomplish all of your dreams and all of your plans. Never says that. We can't use Jesus to accomplish our goals and our plans and our, dream, our dreams. We, we, we can't ask, we, we can't follow Jesus on our terms. We follow him on his terms. That's, that's the implication. That's what it means. And so if there are conditions to your obedience to God, if you place the slightest condition to it, well, I'll follow you if, and whatever's after that if, that's your master. And Jesus will have none of that. He will not be used and he will not be bartered with. And so Jesus says, if you're gonna follow me, I must be the goal. You know, follow me, I'm, I'm the end. I think another implication is this, when you think about that discipleship is really following Jesus, I would say it this way, that if you're not following Jesus, you're following someone. No one's neutral in this. So if you're not a follower of Jesus, you're not actively following Jesus, you're following someone. And it could be the crowd at school that you'd like you know, to be accepted, you'd be a part of that crowd. It could be some author, some celebrity that you wanna emulate. It, it could be you know, some TED talk, talking head, you know, it could be anybody like that. For a lot of us in our culture today, do you know who most people are following? Ourselves. And what's the message of culture today? Follow your heart, right? Follow your heart. That's the message of culture. The message of culture, feelings equal truth. That's the message of culture today. And a lot of people are tethered to their feelings. They are living by what they feel. They believe their feelings are ultimate reality. And so the thought behind that is, well, you gotta follow your heart and uh, because inside your heart is this compass and it points to true north, you know, and it'll determine, you know, if you, if you have the courage to listen to your heart and you, you walk in step with whatever feelings in your heart, that's when you're gonna be happy, that's when you're find, gonna find success, that's when you're gonna find significance. What I would submit to you, church, is there's not a single verse in all of the Bible that says, follow your feelings. Not one. In fact, we have a lot of cautions and warnings about our feelings. Let me just, let me give a couple to you. Jeremiah 17, nine, this is really just speaking about the heart. Uh, Jeremiah says this, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick, who can understand it? Like we don't, we don't even understand our hearts. And Jeremiah's asking, who can understand it? 
And the implication there is it's just so broken and deceitful. And Jesus picks up on this in the Gospels. The great physician lists, lists off a number of symptoms of this heart disease. And when he says in Matthew 15, 19, for out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. That sounds like the six o'clock news to me. And so what Jesus and Jeremiah are basically saying the case that they're really trying to make is your heart is not leadership material. It's not designed to lead you. It's designed to be led. Our hearts don't tell us the truth. Our hearts lie to us. Our hearts tell us what we want to hear. And so many times my heart's going to tell me that I'm in charge, that I can control people, that I can control circumstances, that I'm strong enough to do it myself, that I don't need anybody else and that the world should revolve around me. That's the constant message in my heart. And I have to redirect it by the grace of God every single day. Our hearts were never designed to be followed. They, 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 our hearts cannot save us. Only the grace of God can save us. And so, and so really discipleship is following Jesus. That's what it is. It's following him. Now, practically, what does this look like? How do, how do we do this every day? I, I, would, I would just challenge you on the path of discipleship that what discipleship looks like today in, in you know, 2022, it's really, a, it's a big part of just getting up in the morning and spending time with Jesus. Get it, or not, if it's not in the morning, do it at lunch, not at, not at morning or lunch at some point during the day. But, but what we need is we need to talk to him. And we need to get into God's word because it's in the word of God that we see the character and the ways and the purposes of Jesus revealed to us. And that's where we, where we get connected and dial in. We're not earning God's favor. We're not earning anything from spending time alone with God. We're recognizing what he's already earned for us. And we're accessing that grace and that power so that we can follow him every day. So that we can attach ourselves to him. He's the only person worthy of our hearts and worthy of being followed. And so discipleship is first and foremost about following Jesus. Secondly, discipleship is a process. It is a process. Let me show it to you in verse 17. He says this, follow me and I will, I will make you become fishers of men, he says. Follow me and I'll make you become fishers of men. Now, what, what Jesus is saying there is this. He's saying, I'm on a journey. I'm going somewhere and I want you to come with me. I'm heading to a destination and I'm inviting you to come with me. Not everybody's going to answer that call, but I want you to come. And in the process of this journey, what's going to happen is you're going to be changed. You're going to be transformed. You're going to be different when we get to the destination. See what he says? Follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. So that word, I will make you become, that phrase suggests a process of transformation and metamorphosis. There's growth inherent in that. Now, what's really the goal of this process? That we would become fishers of men. That's, that's what he says. And so this is a journey that leads to the place where we catch men and women for Christ. Let me, let me kind of explain what I mean by that. 
in the Hebrew mindset, in the Jewish mindset, they identified the ocean and the sea as being associated with everything dark and evil and sinful in the world. So the ocean was just everything wrong with the world. It's, it represents the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of this world. Uh, it represents, you know, chaos and death, destruction and all that, just kind of in the Hebrew mindset. So what's behind all that? What drives that thought? Well, obviously sin, selfishness, everybody following their own heart, you know, doing what's right in their own eyes. Now, what's a fisher of men? A fisher of men is just somebody that has, uh, they have something that they can draw people out of darkness and bring them into the light. That's what a fisher of men is. They've been changed in such a way that they, they influence people to come out of the darkness and into the light. And that's no small thing. Have you ever... Uh, have you ever known anybody that they were just the real deal? They, they really cared about you and they communicated that, they expressed that, there were no strings attached. They were so, they're just the kind of person and hopefully you've met somebody like this. They're just the kind of person, they're so other-centered and they, they're so into you more than they're into themselves. You guys know what I'm, you know what I'm talking about? And, and, and then not only that, but they're just contagious kind of in their faith. You know what I mean? They're, they just have a joy about them. They have a love about them. They have an attitude about them. And, uh, and it just kind of pours out. And they just have a way of lifting people out of darkness and pulling them into the light. Uh, you know, my late father-in-law, Pastor Woody Church was just such a guy. I've, I've talked about him in the past, I know, but he was a longtime pastor here at Stones, helped us uh, start the church. And, and, you know, so many of you kn knew him and he had the gift of encouragement. He just loved people. And uh, I was with him a lot. I spent a lot of time with him. I saw him all hours of the day. And uh, he had such a gift with people that people called him, like every other day I would see him, he would be tucked away in a corner on the phone and he was counseling people. Like we'd be on vacation, he'd be out by the pool on the phone counseling people. And uh, he was just always, doing it. It, was, it was his joy. He loved that. He loved helping and encouraging, discipling people, praying with people, encouraging people. He, he had this ability to pull people out of the darkness and into the light. Do you know what his secret was? He was a disciple. He followed Jesus in the process. And sometime in his 20s, he went all in in his discipleship journey and said, God, I'm all yours. And I mean, at that moment, he answered the call to go into the ministry and God just, God just worked in his heart, just changed his heart and, uh, and turned him into that transformed him into a person, a, a fisher of men. But, you know, it's a journey. It's, a, it's not an overnight thing. It's a process. It, it, it really takes time. It took time for, for Pastor Woody. It, it, it takes time for us. But I think what Jesus is communicating to these guys is step into the process. Come with me on the journey. Follow me. 
and you'll be changed. You'll be transformed. And I guarantee you when Jesus called the disciples, they had no idea what they were getting themselves into. No idea. They thought when they were following Jesus that, that Jesus was going to bring political victory with military victory with economic victory. That's what they thought. They had no idea where this journey was leading them. They went in with blinders on completely, but they had no idea that there would be a day when they would be hiding from the authorities, that they would betray and deny Jesus, that they would fail Jesus, that they would do this consistently they had no idea how messy discipleship really is and man is it ever but it's that messy process that God uses to change us into fishers of men and uh, it's a beautiful thing because you know as you think about our failings our weaknesses our sinfulness our brokenness it's just an incredible thing God never gives up on us, never gives up on us because he's so aware of the process. He knows where the destination is. And so let me just lay it on the line for you, church. If you're considering becoming a Christian, if you're considering being a disciple, there are gonna be times when you just don't understand what's going on. There are gonna be times when it's painful there are going to be times when it's hard. There are going to be times when you doubt. There are going to be times when you question. There are going to be times when you fail. There are, going to be, there are going to be times when you don't feel worthy of this. And the truth is none of us should be because none of us are. But it's a journey. It's a process that leads to joy. Because what you see is, you, is not only just closeness with Jesus, but how you being in his presence transforms you. And it's an amazing thing. So what does Jesus say? He says, follow me when you hurt. Follow me when you don't understand. Follow me when you're struggling. Follow me when you've fallen. Get back up and follow me. Let's go. That's what he's saying. Follow me when your girlfriend breaks up with you. Follow me when you don't feel like it. Follow me when you don't have all the questions answered. Just follow me. And God promises that he that began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. See, discipleship is about following Jesus and it's a process. And discipleship is fellowship. It's fellowship. Let me show this to you. Let me look, look again at verse 16 and then in uh, verse 19. I want you to notice just the names, okay? Notice the names. And uh, passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net uh, into the sea for they were fishermen and then later on down in verse 18 and 19 and going on a little further he saw James uh, the son of Zebedee and John his brother now do you notice the names there what's what's Jesus doing he's building community isn't he these are real guys these are real people this is not a nameless faceless mass of humanity these are real guys who lived in real time, in a real space. And, and they had families, they had struggles, they had stresses, they had questions, they had doubts, they experienced victories, they had gifts and talents. They, they, they had all of those things. But what they had most in common was Jesus and each other. That's what they had in common, Jesus and each other. 
And so the principle here is this, that a key part of discipleship is fellowship. That's what it is, that you can't be a disciple and be a Lone Ranger Christian. You just can't be. You can't do it alone. You can't do it by yourself. You need, you need other people. And uh, we need the church, right? So when you think about uh, a fellowship, what, what is a fellowship? A fellowship is very simply a bunch of fellows on the same ship. That's what fellowship is. We're all heading in the same direction. And uh, really another term for fellowship is church. It's a gathering, right? Most basic meaning for church, just gathering, the assembly. And what do we do in this gathering and in this assembly? We worship God. We're not here to be entertained. We're here to please our heavenly father and to worship him. And then we're here to respond to his word back to us. That's what we do. And we do that together. We do it in community. So you're not a number on a roll. And I'm sorry that churches communicate that. We're a family. We're the temple of the Holy Spirit. We're a living body. We're a kingdom of priests. We're a holy nation. We're an army. We're all of those things. We're a flock. That's what we are. We are all of that. All of those metaphors contain a truth that God's trying to communicate to us about the nature of his family that he's been building since, since the beginning of time. But I think in America, we've kind of messed this up. We kind of really struggle with this and we just misunderstand it because we'll, we'll say things like, well, you know, I'm joining a church as if church was, you know, were a club or something. Or I'm driving to church as if church were a building. Or, you know, I'm enjoying church as if it were a show. And all of these kind of reflect this thinking that, well, church is an hour in my week and then I can ignore it all the other times in the week. And that's just not the New Testament vision for it. Now, it may be the American vision for it, but it's not the New Testament vision for what the church really is. It's a fellowship. It's a gathering of people who are following Jesus because we understand we can't be the body of Christ by ourselves. We can't be a temple by ourselves. We, we can't be the family of God by ourselves. We, we need each other. And so what fellowship does is, now get this, it pulls us. It pulls us out of self-centered isolation and it puts us in relationship with other people. It pulls us out of the American rugged individualism philosophy that we're living today and calls us to be in community. You know, today uh, we're facing an epidemic of loneliness in the United States. I, I did a little research on this and I found that, and this was uh, according to the website, The Hill, uh, in 1850, so 1850, 1% of Americans live by themselves. 1%. You know what the number is today? It's almost 33%. And it's going up. It's increasing. In fact, statistics show that three out of every five Americans struggle with loneliness. Now, what is God's answer to loneliness? 
He says it's not good for us to be alone. That's what he says in Genesis. And so what he did is he created community. He created the family of God. He created the church. And so, so really what the church is, is the family of God. It's a, another way of saying it would be this way. We're a classroom where we learn how to love each other and we grow in showing sympathy for one another. We grow in unselfishness here. And as a participating member of the family of God, we learn how to care for one another and love one another and pray for one another and serve one another because, because all of this is getting us ready, preparing us to be the family of God in heaven. That's what it is. We're in class right now. Class is in session. Get your notebooks out because we're learning how to love each other. But if you don't understand that, if you just see it as an hour in your week, you're here one minute and gone the next kind of, then you're short-circuiting the blessings that God has for you and really for us. Because if you're not here, then we miss fellowship with you. And so really biblical fellowship is being just as committed to each other as we are to Christ. That's it. We are just as committed to each other as we are to Christ. You're like, well, Scott, what? Where did you get that? Well, 1 John 3, 16, um, John says this, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers, for the sisters. That's what we are, brothers and sisters in Christ. And so discipleship is just simply taking a step into that. And I know some of you are introverted. I know some of you are extroverted. That doesn't matter, right? It's okay. God created us with a lot of different variety, um, which we need in the body of Christ. So discipleship is all about Jesus. It's a process over time. We're heading to a journey. And that destination is a beautiful place. And we're heading there together. And so my challenge to you today is, Come follow Jesus. Come go with us. And let's see what God wants to do. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we, we come before you. We give you praise. You're worthy of praise. Because you sent Jesus. And today we hear and we see Jesus call so clearly. And so forgive us, God, where we've tried to be spiritually moderate. We've tried to just kind of walk the middle path when there's not really a middle path to walk. And I pray that you would just call us out of coasting in our faith or mediocrity in our commitment. You would call us to radically attach ourselves to you and to do it in faith. That we would just live before the community around us, that we would live before our families, before the people that we work with, just what it means to be a fisher of men. We would just be the kind of people that are others focused, and others centered. 
And it's not by might, it's, it's not by effort, but it's by your spirit. And so God, we surrender to your spirit today. We, we say yes to the call of Jesus to leave our nets, to even, at least de- from a devotional standpoint, to leave our earthly relationships and attach ourselves to you as a priority. Where you are first and foremost. And so God, would you renew us in that today? So thank you that you don't force us. You just say, come, come follow me. And I pray for more than anything that we would know the joy of walking with you and following you. So we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.